Hi everyone. Really good to be with you and massive like congratulations for those of you that celebrate in five years and um, it's been a really great to be part of what you've all been doing in different ways, meeting with different ones of you in different places and it's really great to be able to encourage you from God's word today. So if you've got a Bible with you, please turn to John chapter 1. In a moment we're going to read from verse 35, um, but I'm going to just say a few things Firstly, about the passage before we get into it, and um, John chapter. If you're here and you're someone that doesn't know the Lord yet, you don't. You're not. A, you're not a disciple at the moment. Um, a, good, a great place to start is John chapter one. There's something you need to know about Jesus. Number one, he's fully divine. He's fully divine. Always has been. Always will be. He is the first and the last. He was. There's never a point where where, where the Son of God wasn't. He is eternal. Amen. And John chapter 1 gives us a picture, an insight into the divinity of Christ uh, more than perhaps anywhere else in the Bible. But also in this chapter, the bit we'll look at today, you see the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was 100% human, okay? Doesn't, didn't just look or appear human, 100% human. So he's 100% divine and he's 100% human, which is really the glory of Christ, And uh, John chapter 1 gives us a wonderful insight into that. And it's no coincidence that John begins the chapter in the beginning, because that reminds us of another book in the Bible. What book is that? Genesis, which begins in the beginning. John deliberately starts his letter in the beginning, because he's saying, this is the start of new creation. Jesus coming in the flesh is the start of new creation. All things are going to be made new one day. It begins here with the coming of Jesus. Amen. And so we, 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 get, we, we get brought up into the huge thing that God is doing. And we get caught up in the big story of God. And it lifts us out of our own little world. I don't know about you. I need lifting out of my own little head and my own little world constantly. Anyone else? It, I could just get so in on myself, and I think it's all about me, and before I know it, you know, it's just swirling around in this smallness, whereas actually the Bible says all th- about Jesus, all things were made by him and for him. Not just by him, but for him. You were made for Jesus. Some of you, when I say that, you go, hallelujah, it means everything to you. You know it in the bottom of your heart. It, it, you might have discovered this a month ago or 50 years ago, but you know, yes, it's all about him. Others of you, it may be the strangest thing you have ever heard. You may be here as just a, a guest or someone who's seeking, finding out more about Jesus. I tell you, the Bible makes it very clear that all things were made by him and for him. And John makes that clear in the first part of his letter. And then it moves on before we get to our passage where we introduce to John the Baptist. It was John the Baptist. He, he prepares the way for Jesus. He's six months older than Jesus. They're cousins. I don't know if you knew that. And uh, he's, he's baptizing people because God is softening people's hearts and preparing them for the Messiah, for the Christ. Jesus is coming. And John's baptizing. And one day Jesus walks past and John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world extraordinary thing to say. That's the one who will carry the burden of the sins of the world and take them away. He's the sacrificial lamb of God, Jesus Christ. What a savior. 
Jesus didn't come and t- tell us a way by which we can deal with our sin. He said, no, I'm going to take your sin onto myself. I'm going to bear your sin in my body on the cross so that it's dealt with once and for all. Amen. And so many of us who have known that are so grateful for that, that when we found forgiveness in Jesus, our consciences were cleansed, the skeletons in our cupboard were all pulled out, and we were able to live before God and before people with our head held high, not because we were good people in and of ourselves, not because we were righteous, but because we found mercy at the cross. Amen. It's a wonderful gospel. This message does not leave us wondering one day when when it's the end of all things and we're before God and our good deeds and our bad deeds are put in the scales and hoping that our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds. We've been delivered from such ideas, belief systems and philosophies because the Bible teaches that God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. The church is the righteousness of God. Why? Because we're clothed in Christ. What an amazing gospel. And then, verse 35. We're going to read from verse 35 to the end of the chapter. So the day after John the Baptist has been, saw him passing by. This is the Lamb of God. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. This is the one who, if when you come to him in faith, he will immerse you in the presence of the Holy Spirit and give you supernatural power. So you can walk free from things that have gripped you for the whole of your life. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus does. That's what he does. When I was 16, I made a decision not to be a Christian, even though I believed the gospel, for two reasons. And one of them was that I was trapped in darkness that I could find no way out of. And I knew it was the sort of stuff Christians didn't do. But I felt totally powerless. And so I said to my youth leader, who asked me if I was going to become a Christian, no. Two years later, Jesus in his mercy saved me and gave me supernatural power for those chains to be broken and for my life to be changed. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's what he does. It's real. It's not just hype. It's not just noise. It's real, life-changing what Jesus does. I trust as we look at him today, fresh faith will come. Verse 35, the next day again, John was standing, John the Baptist, with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus, walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, as I read this passage, I want you to look out for the amount of times seeking, looking, finding is mentioned in this passage. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, which is about 4 p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. 
The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Faversham? Sorry, 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 sorry. No, my bad. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. You say in the Bible that you're going to watch over your words to perform it make, it, make it come to pass. We want to pray, Lord, elements of this passage today, you would watch over and you would bring to pass in the lives of many. We pray for the spiritual truth, Lord, that's in this passage. It would land by the power of your spirit. Fresh faith for these dear brothers and sisters, I pray. Amen. It's great to be with you, to celebrate with you five years for two of you and just faithfulness of God for all of you. And also to just remember where we are. We're in this part of Kent called Swale. And um, God has brought you guys together as churches with a heart for that area. And we're thinking about how can we serve Jesus well living here How can we follow him fresh, fruitfully here, faithfully here? And how can we help others find him? Amen? It's always that, right? Remember, the blessing of God doesn't come to us as a pond, i.e. God blesses us and it kind of sits with us like a pond. It's a river, which means that his blessing flows in and his blessing flows out. And whenever you try and hold on to the blessing of God in a selfish way, whenever you don't share with others what God is doing in you, it goes stagnant. It goes stagnant because you're kind of panicking that God hasn't got enough for you and other people. God is infinite in his resources. Which means that when God, God can show you attention as if you're the only person in the room and do the same for everyone else on the planet. It's extraordinary. There's no limits to his supply, okay? So when God blesses you, you could, for you to share that means that the flow keeps coming in and flowing out. Rivers are much fresher than ponds. Because the water's flowing through. Okay, and we want to learn how to live in the blessing of God and be a blessing to those around us. Amen. And so please, as I'm speaking about the blessing of Jesus in your life, please within that be thinking about that flowing not just into you, but out from you to be a blessing to others. I want you to notice the personal interaction in this passage. There's nothing organized about it. It's organic. No one's organized anything. It's just organic, relational interaction, words being spoken, people's souls being looked into, amazing words being said that change lives. It's the life of the kingdom. And sometimes we can get so good at organizing, we can organize ourselves out of life. So many rotors, so many programs, so many schedules, and then you look inside it, where's the spiritual life? Where's the stuff? that makes it actually live? Where's the thing that makes us want to get out of bed in the morning? 
I was listening to a preacher a few days ago. He says, you know you've got your spiritual hunger back when you go to bed excited about your time with Jesus you're going to have in the morning. I thought, oh, when was the last time I went to bed excited because the time I was going to have with Jesus in the morning? So I had to find, I, I bumped into him and I said, we've got to talk. Now that morning, my phone had gone dead because it's a bit funny at the moment. And I'd spent ages with the lead in it thinking, I don't think anything's happening here. It took about 20 minutes before something appeared, which made me think, okay, we've, we've got life. Right, that morning. So I hear this uh, preacher. I, I bump into him. I said, can we talk please quickly? I said, because when you spoke, something fresh ignited in my heart in terms of my relationship with Jesus. When you were talking like that, I thought I've lost something. And I said, first of all, please tell me that your relationship with Jesus doesn't just go on a continual trajectory upwards because I wouldn't find that very encouraging. So I forced him, whether it was true or not, to tell me that that was not the case. So I said, please tell me. He said, no, he said, he said listen to this. He said, it's, no, it's more like that. He said, but as soon as I see it doing that, I pull back from so many things. I cancel things left, right and center in order to address that. I was like, man. And then he said this to me. This is the true story. He said to me, it's a bit like an iPhone. He said, you know when your iPhone dies? This has happened to me that morning. He said, you know when your iPhone dies and then you try and charge it up and you plug it in and you expect the thing to come on straight away, but nothing happens and you think to yourself, oh no, it's dead for good. But actually you just have to sit there and wait. And after some time the thing comes on and I'm going, yeah, yeah, I know about that. That was me three hours ago, two hours ago. He said, it's a bit like that. He said, when you, when you find that you've come into some sort of spiritual decline, you can't just expect that, you know, a quick five-minute prayer and you're going to be back going again. It takes time. I was like, man, so helpful. So challenging, but so helpful. And you need to be around people talking like that, don't you, to stir you up again. Anyway, it's nothing to do with the passage. Don't know how I got onto it. But anyway, so uh, that's right. So you've got this interaction. Uh, Gordon said, because it's a special with three churches together, I can preach for an hour and a half. Is that why, Gordon? <laughs> Something like that, anyway. Um, so you've got, you've got the life of the Spirit. You've got organic interaction. You've got Jesus speaking words that change things. And I want us to feel the atmosphere of that so that we might say, Jesus, please can our churches be a bit more like that. Amen. Yeah, it's good to be organized, but when you organize yourself out of the life of the the Spirit's power and out of the life of of, of genuine zeal for God and all the rest of it, and you've just got to do things at the right time and in the right way, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Jesus said, you need new wineskins to hold the new wine. And he's talking about wineskins, the way you do things. Sometimes we fixate on wineskins. Let's change the wineskin. Fine, change the wine. Wineskin doesn't produce wine. Wine skin holds wine. Don't change what you're doing in order for hopefully God will start. No, you need the presence of God. Then you probably have to change what you do to hold it. But changing stuff doesn't produce the presence of God. Seek God for the presence of God. Simple. Seek him. Seek and you will. Do you believe it? Seek and you. Seek and you might find. We'll find. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, God rewards those who seek him out. The phrase in Hebrews 11 verse 6 is slightly different. If the best English translation is, God rewards those who seek him out, i.e., I am coming for you. 
God. And a bit like Jacob, I will not let you go until you bless me. I need your presence. I need your anointing. I need your spirit. I cannot continue going through the motions. I've had enough of empty rituals. I need your presence. Amen. And that's what we, this, this passage is packed with the presence of Jesus. And I want to just look at these three interactions and just pull out, is there something in here for different ones of us as we think? Because the reality is we can all make a big noise and say, yeah, our churches are going to change swell. Yeah, great, fine. But the reality is we all leave this meeting and go to our homes. Amen. What's been left in our hearts? What's been deposited in our hearts this morning? Because that's where it really begins to make a difference, isn't it? In our homes, in our hearts, and it flows out from there. So first interaction, we're told that, where are we? Let me find it. Two of the disciples, they followed Jesus, come and see where I'm staying. They stayed where he's staying. And then one of the two who heard was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, right? He looked at him. Now remember who Simon is, Simon Peter. He becomes the most vocal of the 12 disciples. He does the most amazing things and makes the biggest mistakes also. He's a full forward guy instead of a full backward guy. Full forward people are precious people and they're about, you get to find about one in every 50. Any full forward people in the house? A full forward person is someone, yeah, a full forward person is someone who they make their mistakes having a go, whereas most people are watching that person <laughs> falling back, okay? Full forward people are precious people, but when they make mistakes, everyone knows about it. Okay, but they're precious. This is who this person is. Now, Jesus looks at him, and when Jesus looks at you, he knows everything about you. Now, this man's name is really interesting because Jesus, he says to him, Simon, son of John. Now, if you really want to do the proper language, it's Simeon, son of Jonah. That's what it is. Simeon, one of the tw- sons of Israel, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, son of Jonah, the prophet. Okay? Simeon, son of Jonah. If you know anything about Simeon, Simeon is gathered around his dad's deathbed with his other 11 brothers. And, the, and Jacob speaks the blessing over the 12. For some of them it's a blessing. It's not for Simeon. Because years before, Simeon had done something outrageous to, uh, against his father. And his father never told him. On his deathbed, his father says, you did that. Brings it out then. Gosh. Not, not very encouraging. And then you've got Jonah. We all know about Jonah. The reluctant, stroppy selfish, sulky prophet. Simeon, son of Jonah. It's not looking good, is it? What does Jesus say to him? You shall be called Cephas. You shall be called Peter, rock. He's been given a new name. He's been given a new identity. That might be where you've come from, but this is who you are now. And this doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes because he makes plenty, but this is still who you are. Amen. Oh, man. Isn't it an amazing thing to, be, to, to, to hear in your soul Jesus give you a new name, say amazing things about you, and then you make a real blunder, and then you look at Jesus and he's still calling you that new name. Yeah, well you think, I'm probably Simeon, son of Jonah again now. No, you're still Peter. You're still a rock, because I, I know what I've got for you, and I've got grace for you, for your mistakes. Amen. And it's so important for us in our soul, in our soul, and this is it for some of you today, 
that you, through your union with Jesus, through your faith in Jesus, you walk out of what you would have been naturally and walk into what you are now in him. That you feel him, even in this moment, looking into your soul, saying, I know what you were. I know what you would be naturally. I know your weaknesses. I know your failings. I know those parts of your soul that are dark and troubled. And I speak over you words of hope and words of life. Hallelujah. What a saviour. You think, how can he do it? It doesn't seem fair. How can he do that? He can do that because Jesus says these things in light of the cross. He says these things where he knows he's going to bear all of the darkness that leads to all of this brokenness. He's going to bear all of the sin that leads to all these terrible character traits so many of us have. He's going to deal with it and bear it in his own body on the cross. So he's got the authority to speak it. Amen. He's got the authority to over, no, overturned, overturned, overturned. This is who you are. Overturned. This is who you are. Over, they said that about you. Overturned. This is who you are. They are words of authority. They are words of life. They are words that no one else can overturn. But he calls us to embrace his words with faith. Because unbelief is powerfully crippling. We are told in one instance where Jesus could, could only do a few miracles. Why? Because of their unbelief. An extraordinary, it's an extraordinary phrase. I mean, you know, for many of us, if we do a few miracles, we're excited, right? <laughs> but we've got to put it in context of who Jesus is. He would, heal, he would heal all of the sick in whole villages. Everyone who came to him would get healed. Whoever touched him would get healed. In this place in Nazareth, he could only do a few miracles for him. This is not good ministry. Why? Because of their unbelief. Their unbelief hindered his ministry. And so I'm urging you, those of you who know and love Jesus, hear his words over you and embrace them with faith. Don't let your unbelief hinder the words of Jesus over your life. You have to engage in faith with what he says. You have to. You, you play a part in this. It's real. It's a real interaction that goes on. And so for some of you today, I think we've got a bit of a ministry time. Gordon said we have two hours for ministry after the hour and a half sermon. So... Um, I would love to pray, you know, I, do you know what? I, I think and I speak and I live as Simeon, son of Jonah. But Jesus says, rock. And, and you know what? Today, freshly, I want to embrace what Jesus says about me. Because that will massively impact the way you live your life. It will impact the way you make relationships. It will impact the key decisions you make in your life. It will impact your values, your priorities and everything. You're living out of a lie. You, live, you, end up, you, you end up doing all, making all kinds of crazy choices, doing all kinds of crazy things. You live out of a deep place of God's truth. You find your, your whole life reorders. It's not perfect, but it's fruitful. Amen? Then there's this other interaction here. I like this one's a sim- simple one, right? I love this. Listen to this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me, Right? And then, so Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found found the Messiah. That's it. Jesus found Philip and said, follow me. Philip was like, okay, uh, now who who else shall I find to follow Jesus? All the pastors are going, if only. If only my church could be like that. I just tell the church, follow Jesus. And they go, okay. And now I'm going to tell everyone I know about Jesus. There's a beautiful simplicity about this interaction here. Follow me. 
okay, who can I tell about Jesus? And really, I don't want to complicate it because that will ruin it. It's very simple. And actually, as I was preparing for this, I did wonder to myself whether there's someone here today, you, it's time to follow Jesus. All right, get on with it. Don't complicate it. Follow Jesus. And whether, and this would be interesting maybe if I come back in, in, I don't know, a couple of years or something, and I wonder whether, if you maybe if this is you now, you just know that I'm, I'm speaking to, I wonder whether God might make you really fruitful in helping others find Jesus. I don't know who this is for, but I just feel in my spirit it's for an individual, and the, and the, and the word to you is follow Jesus, right? And that God is going to, Jesus is going to make you a fisher of men. Remember, he called fishermen. So I'm going to make you a fisher. Jesus is, is a great, going to be a grace on you. As soon as you do it, you're going to just want to bring others to him. And there's going to be a grace on that. And I'd love it. Wouldn't it be amazing if, I don't know, I visited you in a couple of years' time. And he said, yeah, when you spoke that morning, that was me. I gave my life to Jesus. And I've been leading people to Jesus in Swale ever since. I don't know if that's you. But if that is you, I want, I'd love to pray with you later. And I'd love to just stand with you as you say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. So, Lord, I just want to, Lord, I want to pray for whoever that is, that you would just quicken their heart. It, 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 just that pull of the Holy Spirit, not a man thing, not a humanly engineered thing. The pull of the Holy Spirit, that compulsion. I've got to give my life to Jesus. It's time. I pray that you would do that, Lord. I commit this dear brother, sister to you. I want to pray that you would do that in a beautiful way. Amen. And then we've got the final one. This is great, right? So, you, so, the, so he goes and finds Nathaniel, who's nowhere near as straightforward, right? He's been more complicated. So, so he says, we've found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And his comment is this. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So I thought, I need to do some research on Nazareth in Bible times. So I'm doing some research, and it says this. Nazareth was so obscure in Bible times, no one knows anything about it. <laughs> That's what it says online, right? So it's obscure. It's like, where? where? I was driving down with my mate David. I said, but there's three churches coming together. I said, one of them's on the Isle of Sheppey. You heard of that? He went, yeah, isn't that Scotland? That's literally what he said. That's literally what he said. So I don't know if that's a comment on Sheppey or Dave. I don't know. But I said, no, that's Shetland. That's Scotland. But so... You know, there are places that maybe people don't, and, you, and sometimes you can feel like, oh, it's just us here, swell. Jesus came from the most obscure place. Just let that settle in your heart. Yeah. He calls the weak and the foolish, doesn't he? I'm so grateful that he calls the weak and the foolish. Those who are not, he calls them as if they are. He speaks amazing things over them. But Nathaniel's a very honest person. I love, I love honesty. Personally, I would always rather speak to someone who's honest but a bit rough than someone who talks nice and gently but they're not telling you the whole truth. So I've got a soft spot for Nathaniel. He goes, can anything come out of Nazareth? But he said, well, come and see. Come and have a look. Jesus sees him coming. Behold an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Here's a guy who's, here's a, here's a, I love this, right? I love this. We all need Jesus. We all need saving, right? Because we're not good enough for God by our own. No matter how good we are, none of us are good enough for God. That's why we need, that's why we need the gospel, amen? But Jesus still recognizes things in us that are good. Did you hear that? 
No one said amen to that. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Okay, I'm going to do that again. So, none of us are good enough for God. We all need saving um, because none of, us are good, none of us are perfect. We're not good enough for God. We've fallen short. That's why we need the gospel. Amen? amen. You're right. Okay, but you said amen the first time to that bit. So, don't, you haven't got to go louder now on that. Right. Second bit, but Jesus still recognizes the good things in us. Yeah. Because we're not sure about that. Oh, we go, oh, I, I thought our good deeds were like filthy rags. Well, yeah, when we're, trying to, when we're trying to show God we're good enough for him, yeah. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, no, no, not sure. But there are, there are good character traits that people have all around the world that don't know Jesus. Of course there are. And he does notice those things. In fact, there was a guy called Cornelius who wasn't a believer. He wasn't saved at all. And God's, God says about him that his, his good deeds arose like an aroma to heaven. Because he wasn't self-righteous. It wasn't about self-righteousness. But he recognized, he said, man, with a, he's, there's, something, there's good things in his heart. Jesus sees Nathaniel and he goes, there's a straightforward man. There's no deceit in that guy. And then Nathaniel goes, how do you know me? And listen to this answer. It's really interesting. How do you, how do you know me? Oh, I saw you under the fig tree. Right? But you go, okay, fair enough. But then Nathaniel suddenly goes really weird. Right, imagine someone, so I said that to you, I said, I'll see you under the tree. And you're like, wow! You must be the son of God. You must be the king of Israel because you saw me under the tree. I've been like, I just saw you under a tree. I mean, what's the big deal? What's going on here? We don't actually know. May, we can speculate. Maybe Nathaniel was sitting under the tree thinking to himself, why am I always getting in trouble for speaking the truth? Why is everyone always having a go at me for being straightforward? Maybe, maybe I should just become a bit slippery like everyone else. Maybe he's doing that under the tree. And the next day he sees Jesus and he says, there's no deceit in you. How do you know me? I saw you under the tree. Oh, You've read my heart. I don't know. But it connected in some extraordinary way. These two things connected in Nathaniel's heart. And so here's the thing. He is a man who knows he's known. And the glory of the gospel is this, is that, is that we can be made right with God without having to become some kind of spiritual or religious faker. It's extraordinary. You, you literally, you know you're known by God. You're, Jesus looks into your soul. He sees the good he sees the bad and, and through his sacrifice on the cross where he's pinned to that thing and his arms are open wide, he holds his arms open to you and says, you can come as you are and I will cleanse you and I know who you really are and so as you follow me, I will make you the true you that I made you to be. Isn't that liberating? <sighs> There's so much stress in religions and in the Christian life sometimes, because people are actually hiding. They're trying to act in a certain way or trying to act like Christian or whatever. Listen, the gospel releases us from all of that. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you're given a new heart, for goodness sake. Yeah? You're not, you're not, you're not sort of two people, you're given a new heart. Which means at the core of you, by a miracle of God's grace, you love Jesus. Deeper than anything else. More truer than anything else, you become righteous at your core. Which is why the Bible refers to Christians, refer, Paul refers to himself as a sinner once, numerous times throughout the whole of the New Testament. What are Christians referred to as? 
Say it louder. Saints. I am, you can call me Saint Stephen. During our buffet lunch afterwards, I would really appreciate that. But here's the beauty of it. It's not because I'm the preacher. It's not oh, certain Christians are saying. If you are a born-again Christian, you are a saint. I'll call you Saint David and I'll call you Saint Trish. But please do call me Saint Stephen. I really like the idea of that. <laughs> We're made brand new. We're made brand new. We're known. We're known. We can throw off falsehood, nonsense, pretending to be someone else, comparing. We have a little saying in our house. I don't think we made it up, but it's compare and despair. Yeah? It's such a waste of time, isn't it, comparing yourself with others? Yeah? Because if you do better than them, you end up proud. If you do worse than them, you end up in despair. It's such a nonsense. Hallelujah. Through the gospel, we can live before God who we are. It's so freeing. It's so liberating. Even the dog's getting excited about it. <laughs> the tail's wagging, body's... Yeah. Who says animals can't understand the word of God? And then I want to end with this. Listen to what... Listen to what because I, Jesus says to Nathaniel, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Right? He's taken someone from a fig tree and he says this to them. You will see greater things than these. And then he goes into this, he says the most extraordinary thing. You think, what does he mean? He says, you're going to see heaven opened and angels from God ascending and descending on me. I think, what's he taught? That's strange. Why does he say that? Here's why he says that. Rewind thousands of years back to Genesis. And there's a man called Jacob who has to sleep outside one night with his head on a, on, head on a stone. And he has a dream. And in that dream... He sees a ladder, Jacob's ladder, from heaven. And he sees angels ascending and descending on it. And when he wakes up, he says, I can't believe where I am. He said, I'm going to call this place Bethel, which means house of God. House of God. I'm in the house of God. I didn't realize it. Gosh. When Jesus says, you're going to see angels coming up and down on me, he's saying, I am the house of God. I'm the true house. That Jacob's Bethel, the tabernacle in the wilderness, the temple in Jerusalem, they were all just signposts pointing to me. I am the house of God. The presence of God dwells in me, uniquely, fully. The Bible says the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in him in, in bodily form. I'm the house of God. I carry the Holy Spirit fully. And the beauty of it is this, and I want you to I want to leave you with this before we before we go into the um, the second sermon in a moment, Joe. I want to leave you with this. Right? He's not only the house of God, guess what? He's also the cornerstone of the house of God. And attached to that cornerstone are a load of living stones. You and me, believers around the world, believers down the ages, who together make up the dwelling place of God. As we heard earlier, Jew and Gentile, walls broken down. Walls broken down between men and women. Walls broken down between different races, tribes, tongues. Walls broken down between different ages. Walls broken down between different backgrounds. In Jesus Christ, we all become one because only he is big enough to gather us all together. Amen.
They, no other philosophy or belief system or uh, spiritual leader has got enough about them to be able to bring everyone together. The dimensions of Christ, his height, his length, his breadth, his depth are big enough to bring everyone together. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Amen. Into one house, into one household. The walls have been knocked through. We're talking a huge extension. It's not just the Jews anymore. The Gentiles are welcomed in. Praise God. We're all part of the same house together. Building us together into a dwelling place for his spirit. And so Jesus speaks to Nathaniel. This guy under a tree doing who knows what he was doing under the tree. And this man from obscurity, Jesus. He gets a hold of Nathaniel. And probably for Nathaniel, initially, it felt like in order to meet Jesus, coming down. This guy's from Nazareth. A nobody from a nowhere town. But as a result of coming down to meet Jesus, guess what? Jesus takes him up into heavenly glory. If, in order to be taken up with Jesus, you've got to come down. You've got to let go of all of the self-righteousness, all the nonsense, all the high ideals about humanity and come to the one who is truly the saviour. Who on a human level had no beauty or appearance about him that we should desire him. Who deliberately chose the hard way. Who was a root out of dried, parched ground. As we heard earlier, who went to disgrace on the cross for us in order that through his ascension, he might raise us up with him. But his root is our route. There's only one cross in terms of his cross. There's only the cross, but he calls us to walk the way of the cross with him. And I want to encourage you today, if you want to enjoy the heavenly heights, humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You don't need to exalt yourself. Humble yourself under his mighty hand and he will exalt you at the proper time. Amen. Amen.